Welcome to the Sunday Sermon on Through the Bible. Today, Dr. J. Vernon McGee takes us to the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles for his message, Thine is the Kingdom. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to hop aboard the Bible bus and open your copy of God's Word to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. And while you do that, I want to share with you a few great letters from our fellow passengers on the Bible bus. First, we hear from a listener in North Carolina who writes, Through college and then in the military, Dr. McGee has been my great Bible teacher and friendly voice wherever I find myself, physically or spiritually. God has used your program to touch my life and the lives of many others. The sound and uncompromising teaching is a welcome relief in a vacillating and compromising world. It always points the way to Christ and illuminates God's Word. I also appreciate the letters from brothers and sisters around the world who have been saved through the program. God bless the work you do. And next we hear from Susan in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Here's a small contribution. I'm grateful to you for continuing the ministry, especially in foreign languages. We have some friends who are refugees from Iraq, a woman and her two daughters. Her husband was killed for his faith in Christ and for helping Americans. The program in Arabic is a blessing to them and many others they know. We are grateful to hear the letters from listeners overseas and see God bring forth fruit through through the Bible. Well, thanks for your support, Susan. And as you know, It's that donation and so many others that keep the Bible bus rolling through your neighborhood as well as in Iraq and around the world. Is God calling you to provide maybe a tank of gas or a new set of tires for the Bible bus? We'll find out the many ways that you can invest in this fruitful ministry when you visit us at ttb.org forward slash give or just call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now here's an email from Dominique who writes, I recently got the Through the Bible app and website on my phone. I love to read throughout the entire Bible and journal out what I learned. I also love the emails you send me and the great articles and stories that I hear. I would love to see many come to Christ and get touched by Jesus Christ. Praying always for you, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Well, thanks for your encouragement, Dominique. And then our last letter comes from a couple in the Virgin Islands. For many years now, my family has enjoyed and has been encouraged by the teaching of Dr. McGee. Lately, my husband has been going through the Sunday sermons after hearing Dr. McGee teach on the enduring love of God for humans using the story of Hosea and Gomer, the unfaithful wife. He has come to appreciate more deeply his place in God's eternal plan. Thanks for continuing to broadcast God's word so he can draw us closer to his heart. Well, that is such an encouraging letter. And what's God teaching you as we study His Word together? You know we'd love to hear that story. You can email us today at biblebus at ttb.org or send your note to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C 6B1. And remember, you can also leave us a note on our Facebook page. Let's pray. Father, as we study Your Word together, would you please prepare our hearts for whatever is ahead? Help us to walk by faith and to be grounded in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's the Sunday Sermon on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. There is a verse of scripture here in 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter, that we invite your attention to. It is verse 11, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. 
It is generally assumed that when our Lord taught his disciples the so-called Lord's Prayer, that he was giving them something that was brand new, something that had never been introduced in the Old Testament. May I say to you this morning that nothing could be farther from the truth than that. Our Lord simply put into words of brevity and simplicity the thinking, the aspiration, and the hopes of the centuries. The fact of the matter is he patterned the prayer he gave to them after David's last prayer of thanksgiving. And that is a striking similarity between the two. It's interesting to note, therefore, that from David to the Lord Jesus, an entire millennium, that God's program had not changed one whit down through the centuries. It's still a prayer concerning the kingdom. Our Lord went back in the Old Testament when his disciples wanted to be taught how to pray he went back and lifted out this prayer of David. There are many other prayers that he could have used. He could have coined a new one and a fresh one. But our Lord was pleased to go back to this prayer, and I think one of the reasons was to call our attention to the importance of this prayer of David and how tremendously significant it is today. And so when our Lord wanted to teach his own to pray, somehow or another he began to draw from this prayer here. Will you notice verse 11 again? Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom. O Lord, thou art exalted as head over all. Now some of the manuscripts and the better ones that we have today omit the last portion of the so-called Lord's Prayer. That part that says, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Others include it. Our authorized version includes it. The American Standard Version, made in 1901, omits it, which is accurate. I want to, don't want to give the impression I ride both sides of the fence, but both are right. Both happen to be accurate there. Uh, some manuscripts omit it and some include it. Why? Because our Lord taught this prayer on several occasions. In the Sermon on the Mount, we find him including it in that discourse. While in the Gospel of Luke, you find him giving it to his disciples when they came and asked that they be given a pattern of prayer. They had heard him pray, and, and now they say, we want to pray. We wish we could pray like that. We honestly don't know much about prayer. And today we still don't know much about prayer, my beloved, but here is what he taught them. And in some of these 
prayers that he taught them. There were times when he included this last, and there are times when he omitted it, and he never did put in an amen. You won't find it in the prayer at all. Why did he leave out the amen? He left out the amen because it's an unfinished prayer, and you see it's a baby prayer. <laughs> it was to be taught to babes in Christ, folk that don't know how to pray, and uh, they were to add to it themselves when they learned to pray. It's just the same thing that you did for your child when they were little. You remember you started out with, Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then the little one first said, In Jesus' name, amen. You thought it was cute. And then uh, the little one got a little older. And one day the little one says at the end, God bless mommy and God bless poppy. Ooh, wasn't that a great day for you? When they actually added something to the prayer. And it wasn't long until they were really adding a great deal to the prayer. And it wasn't long until they ceased praying the baby prayer and they began to pray one of their own. And that's the reason that I've always said and believe today, and the reason we do not use the so-called Lord's Prayer here. Uh, this would be good for the little folks in junior church, but it, adults ought not to just keep on after 50 years going over this same prayer. We ought to grow up and begin to pray a grown-up Christian's prayer, you see. He gave it, and he left off the end of it. So they had learned to add to this prayer, my beloved. Now, this wonderful statement, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, belong to that prayer. And it comes out of the prayer of David, if you please. It's the prayer that he gave. Now, this morning, I want us to lift out this one phrase of this marvelous prayer, Thine is the kingdom. You remember in the prayer, and there's no question about this, he said, Thy kingdom come. And when he said, Thy kingdom come, it is another way of saying, Thine is the kingdom. Obviously, David and the Lord Jesus had in mind the same kingdom. It's interesting that that kingdom over a period of one millennium, had not changed one whit. It's still the same. David could say, I praying for the kingdom. Thine is the kingdom. Our Lord said, Thine is the kingdom. It hasn't changed down through the centuries. Now, what is that kingdom? Obviously, the kingdom that David is talking about and the kingdom that the Lord Jesus is talking about is the kingdom that the Scripture sets before us. It's not a kingdom that men have concocted today. It's not the kingdom that the church, unfortunately, is working on today. I'm talking now about the church at large. You will find today that the, that, uh, the two segments of the church, Romanism and Protestantism, in their leadership today are both attempting to build on this earth a kingdom. And that's not the kingdom that our Lord prayed about, and it's not the kingdom that David talked about. 
The kingdom they are talking about is the scriptural concept of the kingdom. And I want us this morning briefly to look at that kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom and it's a temporal kingdom. It's a universal kingdom and it's a local kingdom. It is an immediate kingdom and it's mediated. That kingdom has two aspects to it, and Scripture presents both of them. Generally speaking, the kingdom that is spoken of, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, is God's reign over this earth. It's the reign of the heaven over the earth. And that's the thing, if you please, that, uh, that God is attempting to do today is to restore this earth back to his own sovereign reign. For this morning, I'm confident that any intelligent person who looks out at this world this morning and sees its sorrow and hears its groaning and knows something of the difficulties and the problems that are in this world today, you know one thing, he's not reigning today. When he's reigning, there'll be no hospital. When he's reigning, there'll be no broken homes. And there'll be no broken hearts. When he's reigning, my beloved, these things will have disappeared and all tears will be wiped away from all eyes. What's happened to his kingdom? Well, when God created man, he created man a king, for that's what Adam was. He was a king. Back yonder at the very beginning in Genesis 1:26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Dominion is kingship. It's rulership. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. When our Lord sent Peter down to get a fish that had the tax money, he was merely demonstrating that he had recovered what Adam had lost. Today we have difficulty catching fish because man doesn't rule over the fish today and over the fowl of the air. And I went hunting yesterday with some men. And believe me, you ask them today, they had no power over the birds of the air. They didn't get a one. May I say to you that man at one time had dominion over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, and over the earth. And man could make weather in that day. Adam could determine whether the wind was to blow or whether it was not to blow. He controlled the elements of nature as our Lord did when he was here upon the earth. And the, thing, the miracles that our Lord proved was not so much his deity, but that he had recovered, and he was the one to recover what Adam had lost. When he was here, he had power over nature. He had power over every realm. Adam had that, my beloved, and Adam lost that. Now, this kingdom, thine is the kingdom. It's that kingdom that's coming on this earth when there will be restored to God's rule this earth, when there will be the recovery of this earth back into God's program and my beloved, that is the kingdom that we pray for when we say, Thine is the kingdom. That's his kingdom. And that speaks of a day when it's coming on this earth. Will you notice this? Because 
It's the scriptural context that is to be followed and the scriptural concept that will be followed. And it's a, it's a kingdom that will follow, if you please, God's reign over this earth. Now, specifically speaking, it's going to come about in God's way. It's not going to come about in the way that any particular church has planned it. It'll not come about, about according to man's whims. It'll not come about because of man's will. And man has nothing in the world to do with the establishing of it. Blind is the kingdom here and his alone. He's sovereign today. He's not asking you to do anything to bring the kingdom. He's not asking you this morning to make any contribution. We'll see in a moment. Now, divine protocol will be followed, therefore. And there are certain definite aspects that are going to be adhered to. I want this morning briefly, and this is a subject I wish I could dwell on all day, but I want to just put in bar relief this morning and bold stroke some of the aspects of this kingdom. To begin with, this kingdom is coming in David's line. I want you to notice that. Over in First Chronicles, the 17th chapter, the 11th verse, and will you listen to this language now? And it shall come to pass when thy days be expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. Notice verse 14. But I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Now God said to David, this kingdom, David, is coming about through your line. And that's the reason that the New Testament goes to a great deal of trouble to let you know that the Lord Jesus Christ came in David's line. That's important because it must be that way to follow divine protocol. Will you notice that the nation Israel is involved in this kingdom? fact of the matter is, this kingdom can never be established until the nation Israel is restored back to Palestine. That's part of the program. Now, it's not a question of whether you and I like it this way. In fact, God didn't wait till I got here to ask me anything about it. When I got here, it was all mapped out. He said, here it is. Too bad if I don't like it. That is too bad for me, not for him. Because he's moving forward today, undeviatingly, unhesitatingly, uncompromisingly, to the establishment of that kingdom. Nothing stands in his way. He's sovereign. This is his plan. This is his program. Will you listen to a scripture? And I could give a hundred this morning to illustrate this point. I turn to Jeremiah 23 first, verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, 
that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Tzidkenu. Then another scripture, just one other in this connection, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my law in their inward parts, write it in their hearts. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. Now, my beloved, that scripture alone ought to settle the fact that the restoration of Israel occupies a prominent place in God's program for this earth. But those are only two brief scriptures. There are many others. I want to move on because we're just giving an outline this morning. Not only is the nation Israel involved, but Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem in Palestine is to be the center of this kingdom. Will you listen to this? Isaiah 2, 3, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge among the nations, shall rebuke many people. Now will you notice something? There's another characteristic of this kingdom that is a marvelous, wonderful thing. There will be universal peace on this earth. I continue to read here in Isaiah 2, 4, And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Not until that kingdom is established can there, nor will there ever be, world peace. Man cannot have peace as long as he's in sin. God said through Isaiah three times, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. If the world this morning, listen, if the United Nations can make peace, and if Russia today can be at peace in this world and communist China, then I say to you, then God is wrong. But my friend, God is not wrong. And the world is merely proving today by this continual tension that man apart from God and man in sin can never have peace on this earth, not until his kingdom comes down here. Now this kingdom is coming by the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, yonder to the council in Jerusalem to that puzzle group who were wondering at that time how Gentiles were getting into the church. He says, why, this is according to God's program. 
He's calling out of the world today a people to his name. And then James said this, after this, after what? After he gets through with his program in the church, I will return, I will return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. That kingdom will be established and can only be established by the personal return of Jesus Christ. That kingdom, my beloved, will come suddenly, not secretly. The Lord Jesus Christ said, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And there's one thing about lightning, it's not secret, nor is it private. It's the most public a matter and affair that you can possibly have on this earth. And that's the way his coming will be. His coming also will be cataclysmic and catastrophic. You have several of the most awe-inspiring pictures in the Word of God that reveal when, when he comes, it will be to come in mighty power and great glory. Listen, I saw heaven open, the old white horse. He that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. That's what David had said in the second psalm, in the ninth verse, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's the thing that Isaiah had said, Who is this that coming cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? Then those garments he saw were dyed red, like he'd been treading a wine press. That's not his crucifixion, but that is his coming to this earth, my beloved, in judgment. And then have you ever noticed the character of that kingdom which he shall set up and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness? Believe me, whatever you can say about our last election, these are three things that just didn't seem to enter into them very much, truth and meekness and righteousness. But that's the thing that will characterize his reign when he reigns here upon this earth. And my friend, may I repeat it again, Christ is not dependent this morning upon any human agency, any organized movement, or any man to enable him or to help him or to assist him in establishing the kingdom. Listen to him. I have trodden the wine press alone. 
There was none to help me. He doesn't need it. He's not asking man's help to establish his kingdom. He's not waiting for you to do anything. He's not waiting for man to do something or to move something. Well, actually, I'm not sure that sometimes these very worthwhile groups who get carried away with themselves and say, you ought to give to this cause in order to hasten his coming. He's not watching this earth this morning to decide when he's coming. My friend this morning, his, uh, your selfishness and my selfishness today is not holding up his program one whit. He's got his eye fixed yonder upon God's clock. And when it strikes twelve midnight, he's coming, regardless of this earth, regardless of man upon this earth. Remember, his disciples came to him after his death, burial, and resurrection and said, when they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, he didn't rebuke them. He didn't say he wasn't going to establish the kingdom. He said unto them, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. My brother, my sister, this is in God's hands today, not yours or mine. He's not waiting for you to lift your little finger. He's coming at the appointed time. You know, the, his own disciples, right before his crucifixion, they knew something was going to happen. And they thought the kingdom was coming right then. He gave them a parable so they would not be disappointed. As they heard these things, this is Luke 19, 11, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and return. He said, I'm going away. I won't establish the kingdom at this time. I'm going away. And when I get that kingdom, and it's a transaction between me and the Father, when I get that kingdom, I'm coming back. He'll not ask you or me when it's time. He'll not wait for us to do something. He'll come at the appointed time. And that's the reason that every child of God today who's in step with this king, who's in harmony with that throne, who has bowed to this ruler, you and I can pray today from the heart, Thy kingdom come. Thine is the kingdom. It's his. Thine is the kingdom. And then he said, Thine is the power. Oh, it'll take power to establish the kingdom. It'll take power to disarm Russia and America and all the nations of the world. And this is the day of atomic power and rocket power. But you know, even man's power today 
When it's launched from Cape Canaveral, it sputters and plays out. And even when it gets 75,000 miles in the air, we all say, whoopee, wasn't that great? That's just like a bunch of kids playing with a group of, of uh, Chinese firecrackers. That's nothing. We haven't been anywhere even if we got to the moon. We haven't even started into space for that matter. May I say to you this morning, my beloved, there is that pull of gravitation on whatever man sends up, and in our lives today there is another pull, a gravitational pull of sin that every one of us has felt, and man can't lift himself up today and deliver himself from sin, and that's the reason Paul prayed. He says, I pray that yonder in Ephesus that you might know something of that power that power which wrought in Jesus to bring him back from the dead, that power that will deliver you from the gravitational pull of sin. Thine is the kingdom and the power. Power is his. He alone can deliver even today. Thine is the glory. What is glory? Uh, how much does it weigh? Could you buy it with a dozen? What is the size of glory? What shape is it? What color is it? Well, you say, well, it's, it's something that uh, you just couldn't put your finger on. Yes, you can. There are 12 words that are used in the Hebrew and Greek that are translated by our English word glory. Will you look at a few of them this morning? One of them means weight. It does weigh something. And as weight, it speaks of honor. That's the word that's used yonder in Psalm 24. And the king of glory shall come in. The king that has honor. Honor. Has weight. That's the kind of glory God has today. And then there's another word that's used. It means adornment. It means beauty. It means desire. It's something that's, oh, it's attractive. You remember, that's the reason Isaiah was so puzzled. Yonder in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah says, There's no beauty that we should desire him. What's wrong? I'll tell you what's wrong. He laid his glory aside, and he took your sin and my sin, and when he did, there was no beauty there. But if you could see the king today in his beauty, oh, it would be the most thrilling thing that you've ever seen. I do not know whether you saw the sunset last night. It was the most glorious sunset I think I've ever seen. It looked like any moment that his chariot would come out of that glory arch that was made yonder in the west. Beauty, yes, he's the God of beauty, and glory has to do with beauty, my beloved. And then it has to do with majesty. It has to do with a king and a throne and purple and pageant and trumpets and ermine. It has to do with majesty. Thine is the glory, and it has to do, one word means purity.
You see, he's righteous. That's the reason he says to you and me, I want you to reason a little with me, because though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. I can make you stand in my presence if you'll come and reason with him. You can't do it yourself. But he, my beloved, can enable you to stand in his white presence. Then there's another word, preciousness, rarity, that which speaks of value. This morning the Hope Diamond has changed hands, that ill-starred diamond that so many have owned, beginning with Louis and Marie Antoinette, that diamond that's so valuable in this morning, in the Smithsonian Institute, there is an extra detail of guards watching that diamond. It's, it's rare, and it's valuable. It's precious. May I say, glory speaks of his preciousness and how wonderful he is. The New Testament word is doxa. We get our word orthodox. Actually, doxa means opinion, and it also means worth. It means worth. And our hymn writers caught it. I'm afraid we miss it. Listen to this one. Oh, could I speak the matchless worth? Oh, could I sound the glories forth, which in my Savior shine? I'd soar and touch the heavenly strings. Vie with Gabriel while he sings in notes almost divine. Doxa. What a glorious thing that is. A high school student attempted to define glory, and this was his definition, something splendid and brilliant, a blast of breathtaking beauty and splendor. And then a man who taught philosophy in one of our colleges gave this definition, the effulgence of the inexpressible, the manifestation of the luminous, the exaltation of the majestic, the incarnation of the divine. All are good. But no one will adequately set him forth. But the glory belongs to him. Thine is the glory. Where is this kingdom today? Is it in the world? Will you hear me now very carefully? Yes, it's in the world. How is it in the world? Let me tell you this very briefly. You remember during World War II when the Nazis overran France and they set up a government? The French government went underground, but it was there. Somebody else was ruling on top. Underground, it was there. Look, Satan took away from Adam his crown, wrested his scepter from him, and Satan is called in Scripture the prince of the power of this world. He is called today the one that goes up and down like a lion. That's the king of beasts, seeking whom he may devour. He offered the Lord Jesus Christ the kingdoms of this world. And the reason he did, and our Lord didn't call his hands, because they were his to offer. 
God's kingdom today has not gone underground, it's gone overground. He's at God's right hand waiting. The Father has said, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. He's waiting. God's kingdom has gone on overground, if you please, not underground. And today, that kingdom is calling out men and women who will not obey Satan, who refuse to give homage to him, who today say, I want to obey Christ. I want to bow to this king. And this morning, my friend here, you are accountable to that throne. You are accountable to God. You have to render an account to him. Oh, I know today you can get by with a great many things, but you're going to give an account someday. That throne will require you to give an account. You will have to render an account to him someday. You and I are not fit for heaven. You and I are not fit for this kingdom. And that's the reason this wonderful king who's presented on the pages of Revelation as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But in that same chapter, the fourth chapter, he's presented as the lamb because this wonderful king came forth to die on a cross that he might make you and me acceptable to God. What a king. Have you bowed to him? Have you bowed to this king yet and come his way, you will stand before him someday. No one can escape. The kingdom is coming. Do you want to be a part of it? You know, God's word tells us that the only way that you can become a citizen of the kingdom is to believe in Jesus Christ. Find out more about this important decision at ttb.org. You can click on the banner, How Can I Know God, to read and listen to some resources from Dr. McGee, or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll put a few of them in the mail to you. Now, today's sermon called Thine is the Kingdom is available for you to listen to again at ttb.org forward slash Sunday Sermon. And if you want to invite a friend to join in the joy of studying God's Word, you can call and request a pack of our free Listen Bible Bus Passes. I love these things. They're roughly the size of a business card, and each one has a QR code and our web address to help them easily find our current study. Now, request yours today, and we'll get them in the mail right away. Just call 1-800-65-BIBLE or email us at BibleBus at ttb.org. You can also request our free Share Bible Bus Pass that points to resources about our great salvation in Jesus Christ and the free Read Bible Bus Pass that points to many, many resources to help you live the Christian life. So call 1-800-65-BIBLE and request yours for free today. And when you get in touch, be sure to tell us the name of the station where you hear through the Bible. Or if you listen online or through one of our apps, let us know that too. This little bit of information is so helpful as we seek to be good stewards of the resources that God provides through faithful listeners like you. We continue Dr. McGee's five-year journey through the Word of God this week in the historical book of 1 Chronicles. I'm Steve Schwetz. For all of us at Through the Bible, we're praying 1 Chronicles 16 with you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Talk 
of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Join us each weekday for our five-year daily study through the whole Word of God. Check for times on this station or look for Through the Bible in your favorite podcast store and always at ttb.org.